0: Former journalist Lee Strobel once interviewed a man on trial for multiple murders. He wrote, There was something surreal about my lunch with Dr. Jeffrey McDonald. There he was, casually munching on a tuna fish sandwich and potato chips in a conference room of a North Carolina courthouse making upbeat comments, and generally enjoying himself. In a nearby room, a dozen jurors were taking a break after hearing gruesome evidence that McDonald had brutally murdered his wife and two young daughters. As we were finishing our meal, I couldn't restrain myself from asking McDonald the obvious questions. How, how can you act as if nothing is wrong? I said, my voice mixed with astonishment and indignation. Aren't you the slightest bit concerned that those jurors are going to find you guilty? McDonald casually waved his half-eaten sandwich in the general direction of the jury room. Them? He chortled, <laughs> they'll never convict me. Then, apparently realizing how cynical those words sounded, he quickly added, I- I'm innocent, you know. That was the last time I ever heard him laugh. Within days, the former Green Beret, an emergency room physician, was found guilty of stabbing his, his wife, Colette, to death, al- along with his sisters, Kimberly, age 5, and Kristen, age 2. He was promptly sentenced to life in prison and carted off in handcuffs. McDonald was cocky enough to think that his alibi would help him get away with murder. He had told the investigators that he was asleep on the couch when drug-crazed hippies awakened him in the middle of the night. He said he fought them off getting stabbed and knocked unconscious in the process. When he came to, he found his family slaughtered. Unfortunately, the facts exposed his alibi to be pure fiction. On top of and around his wife and his children was his own blood. And pieces of his pajamas were found on them and around them. The facts speak loudly and in his particular case the facts were damning this kind of casualness this kind of indifference is something that we tragically see far too often And in the text of Scripture this morning, it's one of three responses we see to the news that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, the the long-anticipated One. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel account. There are two accounts of the birth of Christ. The first one uh, we looked at last night is found in Luke's Gospel. First, in the sense that it records the events of that day. Matthew's Gospel does not include all of those details that took place as Luke records them, dealing with the announcement to the shepherds by the angel, the angelic choir. None of those details are found in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew gives us um, not a localized view, but an international view of Jesus' birth. And he begins the narrative um, sometime after Jesus was born, at least a month and a half. Read me with me the text of Scripture as I, I read it. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jew? Jews? For, for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what was written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah.'" are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children that were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. In your notes, point number one, the players. Let's talk about the major players in this episode for just a minute. Um, in verse 1 of our text, we're introduced to a man by the name of Herod. This, this man was um, uh, not one who had a small ego. This was one who was a megalomaniac. Um, And we see evidence of this in the fact that he had a number of sons, five of which were named Herod, 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 Herod. He had a grandson named Herod. He had a granddaughter named Herodias. Oh, how unique and different. He had another great-grandson named Herod, So how do we know which Herod we're talking about here? Well, Matthew tells us that this is Herod the king. He wasn't really a king. Herod, Herod, as we know him in history, is Herod the Great. This Herod was an Edomite. Uh, He was from the land, his ancestral uh, land, um, of present-day Jordan. He would be called um, an Idumean. He was not a Jew. Now, Herod, this particular Herod, grew up in Rome. His parents were politically motivated and made sure that their boy, played with another little boy named Octavian, a.k.a. Caesar, the August one. When everybody was all grown up, and Octavian was now Caesar Augustus, his, his, his old sandlot playing buddy, Herod, came knocking in his door. And Herod said to Octavian, I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to give me the title, King of the Jews. Octavian thought, what's the harm? And the Roman Senate agreed. And they bequeathed the title, King of the Jews. Well, Herod took that title seriously, and he went to Palestine, and he removed the Parthian people that had not yet been conquered by the Roman Empire. And they were removed from Palestine. And Octavian was a happy camper. And he thought, I have made a good decision, giving him that title. Because of his action, Herod was given the, the, um, uh, the nod of approval and the financing by Rome to do what he wanted to do and so he decided to build one of his projects was the reconstruction the expansion of the temple and the present day foundation of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was built under Herod's leadership he built Caesarea on the coast it is a seaport where there was no seaport he made an artificial seaport and you can see remnants of it today I've been there it's astonishing he built Masada that impregnable fortress overlooking the Dead Sea and then of course there was his his own presidential palace humbly called the Herodium the Herodium was between Jerusalem and Bethlehem now to uh, Legitimize his title, King of the Jews. Herod married a Jewess named Marianne. What a sweet name. And her brother was uh, Aristobulus, was the high priest at the time. Herod thought that this would be a convenient marriage so that he would be recognized by the locals to be indeed king of the Jews. Now, this wife, he had nine, um, this particular wife and his brother-in-law on different occasions challenged his kingness, Mr. Herod. He did not take kindly to threats or challenges to his leadership, and so he had them murdered. So he did also with three of his sons. He knew how to get rid of threats to his power. Verse 1 of our text also tells us about these men, the Magi, from the East. I gave a description of them last night. For those that were not with us, I will uh, repeat some of this material. Uh, The Magi came from uh, the the ancient area of Persia, present-day Iran. These were The uberly smart guys of antiquity. They were the Mensa, the high IQ society, if you will. These were men who loved knowledge and sought after it wherever they could find it. They were careful observers of things here on earth, they were careful observers of the stars and they're sometimes called stargazers, sometimes called astrologers, Uh, there was nothing that they weren't willing to explore, and they explored the occult, paranormal. In the days of Daniel, this group of people, these magi, came to understand there was knowledge outside of any of that realm which I've just mentioned, a, a, a spiritual knowledge coming from the God, the Creator of the cosmos. And among the, the, the texts of Scripture that they would have become familiar with because of Daniel six centuries earlier was in um, uh, Numbers chapter 24. Verse 17 reads this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. So when these magi, these stargazers, these magicians, enchanters, wise men, saw this star in the sky... They put two and two together. They read the entirety of the Old Testament understanding this is God speaking to the Jewish people and here we have this light in the west. They were in the east following the star. They went west toward Palestine and they understood there was one born that was different now when we sing the Christmas Carol we three kings of Orient are we we have this this picture in our mind that these guys here identified by Matthew as magi were indeed kings no they were not kings but they were king makers these were men who at, at, at special times, w- would go into different countries and anoint, uh, inaugurate, uh, enthrone men who would serve as an ex-king in that land. Uh, they were men to be feared, not not just for their intellect, but for this activity of going into to a land and bringing some disruption because they have announced such and such a person being king. And they were right too many times. Well, these men saw a star in the east. What was that star? What did they see exactly? We don't know. But there are six theories. Ready? Number one. This star was the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn. Now, if you are myopic like me, if I take my glasses off, I can't see very well. And, and may, maybe the convergence of two planets together would appear as a star. Uh, scientifically, they're never closer than one degree. I mean, they're always going to be at least one degree apart from each other, from Earth. Uh, that's, that's not a good theory. Another, another theory, similar to the first, is that this, this so-called star, in air quotes, was a convergence of a number of planets together. But we have the same problem. We, we, we never have all of the in any group of planets coming together, uh, reflecting the light of the sun so much that they appear as, as one star. It doesn't happen. Third theory. Some have suggested this star was really Halley's Comet. Well, Halley's Comet comes in a regular and cyclical uh, expected uh, pattern, loop, if you will. And uh, astronomers calculate that Halley's Comet would have showed up in Palestine or, or seen by, by, by anybody on Earth um, in, uh, in 12 B.C. Hmm, that's too early. All right? Uh, fourth option. Some have su- suggested that this star was a supernova A a, a, a faint star at first that exploded and that's what was seen by the magi and they they knew that something different was here they paid attention to what was going on in the heavens all the time and then when they saw this particular explosion of a faint star they knew Something's up, and they assume that this is the start. Well, that's, that's a possibility, but we have no way to, to go back in time to verify that that's indeed what happened. Theory number five, um, some have said that this is some kind of supernatural occurrence. Again, just like the, the previous theory, uh, that's, that's possible. God could have put something specifically there in the in in the heavens, um, but we have no way of going back in time to 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 see that to verify that. Um, I think the best explanation is option number six, which is that um, this was the Shekinah glory of God. This was God's revelation of himself in light form. Remember when the Israelites were wandering in the desert after the Exodus prior to their entry into the promised land, the Lord guided them by a pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. Well, that, that pillar of fire was the Shekinah glory. It was the The presence of God among his people, he was the one leading them, and he manifested that in light. I think that's the best explanation of what the Magi saw. At the birth of Christ, they saw this light. They went home, packed their bags, packed their camels, and started off following wherever this star star was going to lead them at some point and for reasons we can't explain at some point um they 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 lost sight of the star uh, we 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 don't we don't know what happened was what was there some kind of phenomenon where um, the, the star was out there, and and cloud cover came and hindered them seeing the star. Did did God remove it? Was that something that God intentionally did, in order to cause them to respond as they did? That is, when the star went away, where uh, when they no longer had something to follow, they knocked on the door they thought most appropriate to find out, okay, where is this king? Verse 2 of our text. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They went to Herod. They went to uh, the guy that they figured knew the most and the best second page of your notes. He's the first one we're going to look at regarding their, his response to the news of the birth of Christ. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? N- Notice that the, that the Magi did not ask, where is he who will someday be king of the Jews. They ask the question, who is the one who was born? He's already here, and he's already the king. Sorry, O king, you have been replaced. These are the smartest guys on the earth. And they have an uncanny power of announcing who is going to be the next king. We see their intention at the end of verse 2. We saw his star. His star. The star that is leading us to him. The star that describes him the star that is a part of who He is and His appearing. We saw His star in the east, and we have come to worship Him. Hmm, We'll get to their response in just a moment. Let's let's hasten on to verse 3. I want to look at Herod and his response of severe rejection when when Herod the king heard this he was troubled I think at this point he was channeling um, the uh, king of rock and roll he was all shook up he was troubled and subsequently all Jerusalem with him was troubled. you mess with the king The king is going to react violently. Everybody knew it. We see his specific reaction in verse 16 of our text. When Herod saw that he had been duped, tricked, bamboozled by the magi, he became very enraged, very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Scholars think that Jesus was born in 4 B.C. We know from historical records that Herod, this Herod, Herod the Great, Herod the so-called king of the Jews, died in 4 BC we also know that when Joseph and Mary went to the temple and Mary offered a, a, a an offering uh, a required offering uh, an offering of purification after the birth of a child every woman had to do this you you, you had to wait uh, 40 days if you gave birth to a male child when she Made her offering. The scripture tells us, in Luke chapter two, that she offered a pair of turtle doves or a pair of of uh, pigeons, meaning that she gave uh, the, the the acceptable sacrifice, but it gave evidence of the fact that she was very poor. Well, after the uh, the magi give their gifts to um, to Joseph and Mary and the child uh, they pour no more and we will we'll see how much so in in just a little bit so so here here we have Jesus born all all this happens in 4 BC Jesus is born 40 days later they Mary and Joseph uh, offer the uh, the the offering that they could make uh, uh the, the poorest offering um, so that so Jesus had to be a, at least a month and a half old uh, at at that point and then the Magi come and later that same year Herod dies now he he killed all male babies that are two years old and younger. Remember, Herod knew how to deal with a threat. And he had the political and military muscle in order to carry it out. He'd already taken care of his wife, his brother-in-law, three of his boys. This was nothing. He sent his guys to Bethlehem and its surrounds and killed just to be safe, just in case the Magi got something wrong or they, they missed um, some portion of, of the events or, or they had a, a flat tire on their camel and had a difficult time getting there just to cover his bases He said, I'm going to take care of every male child two years of age and younger. Not only in in Bethlehem, but in all of the surrounds. Now remember, Jerusalem and the Herodium, his presidential palace, are, are only a couple of miles apart. And the Herodium is only three miles from Bethlehem. All of this was taking place right under Herod's nose. But he had no idea what was going on. When he heard about it, and and the magi were, they were ones who were coming to worship this king that had already been born. He came unglued. His murderous intents were carried out and there was great screaming, mourning. Why, God, would you let this happen? Kind of comments that were happening throughout Bethlehem and the surrounds. There are some people like Herod that respond to Jesus in that way. Angry, bitter, vindictive, I will get you back kind of jealousy. We find a different kind of response in a group of people we haven't talked about yet. Look with me at our text in verse 4. When Herod heard about what the Magi had reported to him and And I I dare say that they had proof texts. Here, in in your own scriptures, this is what this says. They were probably assuming that he was a Jew. So, in response, verse 4, Herod gathered together all the chief priests, scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So Herod started his homework. He said, okay, guys, chief priests, scribes, you're, 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 the, you're the smart guys here. You're the religious leaders. Okay, you tell me, where is Messiah to be born? Well, they knew their scriptures. Verse 5 they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Remember from last night, there, there, are, there are two Bethlehems in uh, the Promised Land. One seven miles northwest of, of, uh, of uh, Nazareth, and then this particular Bethlehem called Bethlehem of Judah, that's uh, just five miles south of of. Um, the capital city the religious leaders knew where he was to be born and they knew that um, he would be a ruler see that at the end of verse 6 they knew that he would be God's Shepherd God's Shepherd of God's people now as religious leaders they, they were they, they were um, to to be the the shepherds, the leaders of God's people, uh, but they weren't doing the job. And God was going to replace them. Now those are the facts. And upon hearing the testimony of the Magi, again, these are the smartest guys on the planet. Uh, they, They should have been following the magi to check this thing out but they weren't to be bothered with the facts they were characterized by a a, a satisfied indifference while they ate their tuna fish sandwich and munched on potato chips Sad but true. There are many presented with the facts of who Jesus is that treat those facts in a cavalier, unconcerned, I'm satisfied with my life kind of attitude. Indifferent. The third response is what we find from the uh, the Magi, that of of uh, submissive worship they knew who this man was this baby was rather Uh, and they knew what their response would be they prepared even way back at home what they were going to do when they came and when they found this child they were gonna come and worship him to submit to him, to give their very best to him. Indeed, verse seven. Herod secretly called the magi, determined from them the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Okay, so now Herod has confirmed. They have confirmed. They would have had the scriptures. They they probably knew that, but. There are two Bethlehems in Palestine. So he sent them to the right one. Go search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him as well. You lion dog. He had no intention of doing so. He said this, play acting, in hopes that He'd get a text from the Magi. Here, O king, is his address. Verse 9, after seeing the king, they went away, and the star which they had seen in the east, pop! They saw it again. Well, at this point, it didn't, this, is, this is better than anything that Herod was able to provide for them. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That, that last phrase in verse 10, um, Matthew is piling superlatives upon superlatives. With exceedingly great, I mean like really great, super deluxe, exceptional, exceedingly great joy, did they rejoice. It was over the top. They were so, so elated that their journey was about to end. The object for, or, or the, the person for whom they sought was at hand. After coming into the house, verse 11, no, notice that, that Jesus, Mary, Joseph, they're not in a stable anymore. They're in a house now. But they're still in the area. The census that took them to Bethlehem in the first place, that's, 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 that's history. They're in the house, and the Magi saw the child with Mary's mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. And this is one way they worshipped him. Opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. gold is the gift of kings it's it is the most precious metal on planet earth has always been so frankincense and myrrh are are both resins hardened sap that come from specific trees so if you were if, if you were one that was harvesting frankincense or myrrh, you would go to this particular kind of tree and you would, you would cut the bark so that the, the sap would, would ooze out and eventually it would harden and then you'd come back by later and you would harvest it. You would scrape off the hardened sap and you'd put it in your, in your, in your, in your bag, your bucket, and, and you'd be off. Uh, these are these are very valuable um, commodities. Frankincense was used in the uh, cosmetic industry and in the I- and in the medical uh, field uh, for healing purposes. Myrrh was was used um, in um, uh, in embalming a body, preparing a body for for death, so that myrrh would be would be um, Lathered on a person's body, a, a dead person's uh, corpse, if you will, and then and then they would be wrapped and kind of mummified. When when Jesus was um, uh, crucified and and prepared for burial, um, John nineteen tells us that Nicodemus prepared a a mixture, a hundred pound mixture of myrrh and aloes to um, to bury his lord and master. Now, I- in that day, uh, I, I suppose I could have figured this out in, in today's terms, but I didn't. I just used old old uh, notes that I had in my files. Let's say that a pound of gold costs $600. It, it costs more than that. I, I, I realize that. A lot more than that. Um, but let 's just say for 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 sake of argument and il- illustration, uh, a pound of gold goes for six hundred dollars. Well, a pound of myrrh of uh, uh, frankincense would go for five hundred dollars in Jesus' day. A pound of myrrh would go for four thousand dollars so 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 frankincense was uh, a new chevy. Uh, myrrh was a vintage Rolls-Royce it was expensive and that Nicodemus buried Jesus in a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes what's the ratio I have no idea let's say it's 50-50 that is a sizable price tag These are the kind of gifts the Magi gave to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. This is how they were able to immediately finance the trip to Egypt. Now, if Joseph and Mary went simply to the border of Egypt and stayed there, out of the jurisdiction of Herod, they would have traveled 75 miles. If they went to Alexandria, that was the Jewish hub outside of Israel. Um, In Jesus' day, uh, the city of Alexandria, Egypt, it was um, almost exclusively a Jewish community. It, it, It had a population of a million people. It was sizable. If Joseph took them there, to Alexandria, it would have added on another 100 miles. So they've got the cost of that travel, the cost of, of spending uh, days outside of, of um, the land of promise until Herod died. It would have been maybe at, at the most um, 10 and a half months probably less than that, before Herod dies and, and the angel gave to Joseph the green light to head home. This, this financed this whole trip for them. And I don't know, maybe Joseph had uh, um, a, a little bit left over to buy a couple of router bits at Home Depot when he got home. I, I don't know. Um, th- these, these reactions that we find in uh, the players of this Christmas story, severe rejection, satisfied indifference, submissive worship, it's the same that we find even today. I don't know if you heard the story this week in the news, um, but in... Um, U.K., a 45-year-old woman by the name of Isabel von Spruce was standing on the sidewalk opposite a, an abortion clinic and she was uh, she was not protesting she was completely by herself she was simply standing there her head was bowed her eyes were closed she was not saying anything out loud that anybody could hear. She admitted she was praying in her mind. And you can find footage online. Uh, somebody had a cell, cell phone. Everybody's got cell phones that ta- are taking pictures these days. Um, and you, you, you see the, uh, the, the police approach her, interrogate her, and arrest her. Why? Because she was praying silently. This is illustrative of the kind of severe rejection Christians have and will experience in this world. you realize that that the 20th century, we're in the 21st century now, but in the 20th century, more people died for their faith than in all the previous centuries combined. That's substantial. That is, that is uh, another illust- illustration of severe rejection murderous plots against Christians because of their faith. My friends, we, we, should, um, we should prepare our, 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 our hearts and our minds for this kind of rejection. Will it come in our lifetime? I don't know. I have been verbally abused, not physically abused. Verbally abused because of my faith. Maybe you have too. It will come, and then, of course, there are those who are, are uh, um, uh, cavalier, unconcerned, uh, have a have a, uh, a satisfied indifference to the gospel message. I've told you here not not too long ago about a recent conversation I had with one of my next door neighbors. Um, about the gospel, I was not witnessing to him; I was evangelizing him. Remember the difference. Um, and 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 there was that there was that satisfied indifference. You know, I, I, thank you. I, I don't I don't need I don't need you preaching at me. Um, I'll figure it out when I die. How typical. How typical it is for unbelievers who who have this kind of smug indifference while eating their tuna fish sandwich and their potato chips. How how typical it is for for those who are indifferent right now to become active rejectors of the truth we proclaim. We see it with the chief priests and the scribes that, that uh, Herod had called to, um, um, to, to give him some information. Initially, they were indifferent. But once they were confronted by Jesus of who he was, they weren't indifferent anymore. The fact that Jesus is the God-man stood before them and he was demanding their obedience their worship, and they would have none of it and These were the ones who killed Jesus, so those who are indifferent often become the severe rejectors but let me let me say something here first about those who are like uh, the Magi and who come to Christ worshiping Him with that mindset. I am here, O Lord, to submit to You. The evidence of that is the fact that the Magi gave the the best of the very best. What about you? Do you have... As a, as, a, as a part of your routine thinking, giving the master your very best certainly that might have something to do with your, your, your money, whatever is in your bank account, tools that you have in your garage, whatever that, that might be. What about your time? Do you give the very best of your time to the master? have to have my quiet time first thing in the morning. I have to. That's the best time for me. that's, That's the time when my brain is most alert, sharp, and I can remember things best. Let me say one more word about Difficult people that would seek to do us in. Um, I'm sure that eventually the Magi heard about what Herod did to the babies in Bethlehem, and I wonder if they wondered: Did the one that we uh, acknowledged to be king, the one to whom we 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 gave these lavish gifts did he make it i don't know i don't know what they uh, what they what they subsequently learned <clears throat> um <clears throat> but but one one thing that we 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 have to we have to recognize that um we we don't know all of god's plan just like the majeris it probably didn't know about the Spirit calling Joseph to pick up the baby, pick up his wife, get out of here tonight. They may not have known those kind of details. We don't know. All of what the Lord is doing in our life, in in the lives of the people that are immediately around us, we sometimes don't know. Oftentimes we don't know. And we might take offense at the fact that uh, this person whom i i love I, I i cherish this person i i don't want them hurt we we might um do or say all kinds of things in order to protect those loved ones and and that's not wrong and that's not not inappropriate but what i'm what i'm saying here is in, in the midst of a world that rejects christ and um, kicks the teeth of, of God's people that we know and love. Our responsibility as believers in Christ is to keep our focus purely and simply on the Lord. There will be terrible, horrible, no good, very bad people in our life and in the lives of the people that we know and love that will be doing bad things, That shouldn't surprise us. It might make us angry. And righteous anger is a good thing. But we have to remember that our responsibility is to continually come before the Lord in submissive worship. Come and bow the knee to Him. Keep our eyes firmly fixed on Him no matter what. That's our response to this baby that was born, one of submissive worship. Let's pray. Father, we bless your holy name for your work in our lives through Christ, did through the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, with great joy, we, uh, we celebrate his, his, his work on our behalf. With boldness and eager anticipation, do we look forward to opportunities you will give us this week to proclaim the Messiah has come. Give us courage and boldness. Give us eyes that are fixed solely on you. In the name of the risen Christ, do we pray this.